Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Jeremy Slagle, along with Thad Devassi. You've heard the phrase many times before, go big or go home. For Katie and Josh Emmerich, they've been there and done that. And they'll tell you that going small and heading home is among the best things they've done to build business and a more rewarding family life. But coming to that realization also had its fair share of lessons learned. Katie and Josh engage in an unvarnished conversation about their lives and share tons of wisdom with us, including what they've discovered about design, about running and closing a design firm, and about rediscovering a more purposeful approach for the benefit of their clients, their community, and their not-so-small family. This is the Joy Venture Podcast and our third installment of our Indie or Bust series with Katie and Josh Emmerich of the Design and Illustration Studio Emmerich Office. Katie and Josh, thank you so much for welcoming us into your home office uh, here in just outside Indianapolis. Um, you know, Thad and I made the the trip, in, the snowy trip in this morning, and uh, we're really excited about having the opportunity to sit down with you two and hearing how you're doing and hearing um, about your joy and about uh, you know kind kind of how you got to where you are and and what's coming up for you and and kind of the the ups and downs of of everything in between. So thank you for welcoming us here. This is great. Thank you. And thanks for not um, falling down on the home alone situation we had on the (laughs) stairs from all the ice that fell tonight. So, or last night. So yeah, thank you for, for coming all the way out here. Are you talking about where you put all the, um, the nails sticking up on the front yard? I didn't see the nails, but uh, it was yeah. And the tar, the bucket yeah, of tar. I didn't, do, didn't do the bucket of tar. Well, it was yeah. We, we so we have some steep steps up to our front door, and and so last night there was a little bit of an ice storm, so it's covered in ice. And we went out to put uh, salt down for you guys this morning, and our our salt turned into one giant ball of salt. So we just had to throw <laughs> it away. I don't know. I didn't know that 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 could happen. So anyway, apparently it does. We digress, but uh, sorry, yeah. it's okay. Well. Um, I first found your work at, uh, I was working, working uh, with a brewery last year and uh, he was the, the gentleman I'm working with that we actually, we worked, uh, with that on that project, uh, came from Uinta Brewing. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing some research, started looking into his background and I found the Uinta packaging and I ended up on your website and I was absolutely floored. Um, I fancy myself an illustrator and a designer as well. And when I saw your work, I was speechless. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. And what's really remarkable about your work is not that you're a designer, but you're, you're every bit as good of a designer as you are an illustrator. And that's not something that's seen a lot today. Um, and not only that, like you can find a genre and you can, you can illustrate in that genre in a way that I have very few people I've seen are able to do that. Uh, House Industries is probably one of the few that I've seen that, that, that their team is able to collectively put something together. that's kind of like a Vegas theme, you know, or, or, or they're able to create these genre specific uh, designs, but you're able to just, just kill it in all these different ways, whether it's traditional style work or vector style work, it's unbelievable. And uh, so I remember I was at the, uh, Adobe conference and ended up sitting with Von Glitchka and a couple guys. And I, uh, I ha- I somehow we were talking about young designers and I said, have you guys seen Josh Emmerich stuff? And they were like, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. It was, uh, Paul Howalt was sitting with me too. And I pulled up your website on, on my phone and they just, their jaws dropped and they were just like, this is the, like, I need to hang up my hat kind of good. Like it was that it's that good. And, um, so when I, I've been looking forward to someday meeting you and I had was talking with Vaughn at creative South and we were in the vendors area and he had one of your posters and it was signed. And I was like, where'd you get that? He goes, Oh, 
I was over at the table over there and Josh Emmerich signing posters. I was like, what? <laughs> so I made haste over to that corner and nerded out and introduced myself. And um, I just want you to know, like, your work's the tops. It's fantastic. And um, I can tell that what you do, you have a lot of love behind what you do. It's uh, Frank, Sh- Frank Shmiro says it best when he talks about doing work the long, hard, stupid way. And <laughs> I feel like when I see your work, it's painstakingly well done. You, you think big picture, but you focus on the details in such an awesome way. And um, so I was really looking forward to meeting you and then just having an opportunity to hang out with you a little bit at Creative South uh, before you headed out was was one of the highlights of my of my week so um that's kind of how i i got to know you and then you said a whole lot of awesome stuff about your wife and your kids which you don't hear a lot of designers just kind of talking about how awesome their wives and kids are uh, which i hear a lot at creative south by the way um but um so digging a little deeper seeing that katie's an integral part of your business and that you work from home that totally blew my mind. So uh, just looking forward to an opportunity to sit down with you guys, kind of hear how that all happened, how you got to where you are. Um, so I'm going to stop yammering. <laughs> but uh, well, that was a huge compliment. I, um, I, yeah, if I, yeah, I'm, thank you so much. That, uh, that, that means a lot. I, there's a lot of things that you said in there that are um, values that I have for what I do. And it's, it's amazing. It's feels really good that people are seeing that and picking up on it. I think one of the hardest things um, or maybe one of the things that I always kind of wonder if the grass is always greener is because I work in a lot of different styles or um, working within a lot of different genres of, of things because I work with um, multiple craft breweries. They all have to look different. I sometimes wonder, you know, do people really know that that's, that's my work as well because it's, there's so many different things that I'm doing. Um, and I also wonder too, do people realize that I'm illustrating and doing that? And I guess that's from more from a selfish perspective of, of, of juggling those different things. But I think, um, one of the things that sort of shaped the way that I work is, um, I, I, I grew up in a non-artistic family, a pretty blue collar family. And they had no idea what to do with me. I was in the artist kid that, Um, you know, in in a family of engineers and, you know, people that didn't go to college and, um, you know, very, very blue collar. And so, um, the only, they didn't know anything about what a graphic designer was. They didn't really know what an illustrator was. They just had this term commercial art, which encapsulated it all. So I think I always had this idea of that. I was just a commercial artist and, um, that's what I was like, that's what I was born to do in a way. So, um, it was, it's, it's kind of interesting because like, I think the words you use to define yourself early on are what kind of shapes the things that you think you're supposed to do. Yeah. And so I think I always thought of a commercial artist, not as a, I was never just a designer. I was never just an illustrator as a commercial artist, which commercial artists just did both back in the day, you know? Yeah. And so I think that was, that was kind of an interesting way for me to somehow develop these, this weird, uh, bag of skills that I have, you know, this world weird bag of, bag of tricks. So, yeah. So did you feel you, you went to school for graphic design, right? I did. It was called visual communication design. But I think when I first started out, um, my, my, you know, my parents didn't know really what to, you know, what to do with me. I mean, they, they, got me into art lessons and I did well in high school and stuff like that, but I really wanted to be a Disney animator and I wanted to go to, um, I read somewhere that, you know, Ringling School of Art in Sarasota or um, CalArts in California were the places to go, but I was too afraid to leave home. So I ended up going to the University of Indianapolis, which is just down the road from where I grew up um, and studied, wasn't really sure what graphic design was in, in, in the program. I really just loved drawing and painting. And so a lot of the classes that I took were more traditional art classes than they were graphic design classes. I remember my first graphic design class was calligraphy and I thought graphic design had something to do with the computer. And looking back, I wish I would have paid so much more attention in that class, you know, but. Yeah. Um, something we, that Thad and I were actually talking about on the way out here is it feels like, like the, uh, 
the design school that's in our that's in our city they they actually have the illustration majors are in with the fine artists and so they're like separated from the the graphic design or visual communications students and that always seemed really odd to me because illustration really isn't fine art it's it's design it's usually designed for an advertising purpose or for commercial purpose. Now I understand like if you're learning illustration and you're under, you want to learn how to use a brush and how to use paint and, and traditional medium, then it does make sense to fit in there. But I feel like, um, whether it's university or even, you know, if you don't work for yourself, if you're going out and interviewing for a job and you can't go, come in with a portfolio that says I'm a designer or I'm an illustrator, sometimes agencies just don't know what to do with you. Right. I think that was sort of, uh, come, you know, I was fortunate to find a few places that saw that mix of skills as being useful. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I came out of school at a, at a kind of a difficult time. It was, um, you know, the early two thousands and you know, people think about the great recession, but people were still not hiring very much back then. And, um, I think out of my class, I was maybe the only one that I know of that got a job doing actually what I went to school for. I think, mm. um, it was, it was pretty tough to find the places that you wanted to go. And it's, it's, you know, not to, not to seem, you know, things are so different because it's so much harder to find back then. It was so hard to find places to work because you don't have the access. You didn't have the access to social media. I graduated in 2002. So, um, social media wasn't, uh, existing at that point. So you had to kind of I mean, for, and I'm, I'm sure this was the same for you guys too. You had to like look through the design annuals and find cool studios that had the work that you wanted to do and, you know, hope that they were, uh, you know, hiring and sending them out your resume and all that kind of stuff. And I know, um, it's, it's interesting now cause you can almost have someone approach you from seeing your work yeah. and, and wanting to hire you that way. So it's, it's, it was a little bit different. It was hard to find a, a job that first worked when I got out of school. So I, I went and I did like three internships, uh, before I, I landed a, a job that, you know, was for, for more of the long term. I stayed there for about a year. Um, did a lot of stuff. I worked for a, an agency here in Indianapolis called, uh, Dean Johnson design. And it was great because the one owner was a illustrator and one owner was uh, a sort of a classic graphic designer. And I could, I worked with both of them and it was really fun because they had that, um, you know, uh, va those values from the very beginning. And so that was kind of a, a great first place to work because I learned different things from both, uh, both owners. So that was really fun. That's great. So, um, Katie, you've got a, a design background as well. Is that correct? I do. I have a degree, um, with a graphic design emphasis and, uh, basically I, it was just kind of, well, if I'm going to go to school for art, what should I go into that might actually create a career? And so I went the graphic design route, even though I'm not really intuitive with computers. <laughs> That's probably not my strength. Um, definitely more of a classical pencil, ink, paint kind of a person. And uh, my favorite class was life drawing. I love life Which drawing. was a surprise to me because I'm super modest and I thought I was going to be so embarrassed <laughs> with that setup. But you know, you kind of look past all that and just learning to draw the human form was fascinating and amazing. And you learn so much. Um, but do you have graphic design background? My portfolio when I graduated, I was told was the, you know, best in my class and one of the best they had seen from schools around the area. But I had an 18 month old daughter and I was six months pregnant with our second child. And when I was asked, um, so what are you going to do now? And I was like, well, you know, my husband's a designer and I'm going to be home with my kids. And the response was kind of like, this is the best work I've seen and you're not going to do anything with it. I was just like, well, I will. I just won't be, you know, at a desk working. I think that's an long. interesting uh, theme that kind of drives both of us. Um, you're probably driven that by that too, just from you know, wanting to get back in design and, you know, working with me that, that, uh, you are, you don't want to lose that. Cause I think we both look at the things that the skills that we've been given. And some of those were innate from when we were kids and you grew up having people tell you like, 
you're this, you know, you've got these amazing, amazing talents and I wish I could do that. And I think it, it sort of makes you feel like you're stewarding something like I've been given this thing that I love to do. And there's a lot of people out there that don't know what they're good at and don't know what they love to do. And I think there's always been this driving force for both of us of we can't squander that. We've got to use it. And, and it, in some ways that's, um, that's empowering, but in other ways it, it sort of creates a, a burden on your shoulders that am I living up to my potential? Am I mm-hmm. living up to my potential? And I think, you know, people talk about the imposter syndrome and that's kind of like that. Um, but I think I tend to look at it more of, am, am I following through on what I've been given? Am I following through on what, what I've been given? Am I spending enough time thinking about how I can maximize this talent? And if I'm, if I'm not where I want to be, then I, I need to, you know, figure out how to get back on that path or whatever. And so, um, I think probably that person saying that to Katie was something that, you know, hits close to home for both of us because we, we both see ourselves trying to live up to the expectations we set as kids as both being little, you know, talented artists or, or whatever as kids. He asked me, you know, what do you, what do you want to do when you quote unquote grow up? And I was like, well, you know, I mean, I love art, but as cheesy as it sounds, I really want to be a mom. So I actually get to do my dream job, which is be a mom. And I've had the privilege of staying home and being with them, which my mom did not have. She was a teacher. Um, So that I value very much. And design becomes other things. I mean, design is design. It's not just on a computer or, you know, on a piece of paper. It's how you see the world. So... I got to be creative through learning to cook and what I feed my kids and, um, you know, learning new ingredients and teaching them about that and having fun in the kitchen and uh, being creative with my kids, doing crafts and just the way we set up our house and the colors we use and their rooms and giving them space to be creative themselves because every single one of them are. We go through like a forest of paper a year. They could draw all day, all of them, or write or, you know, make origami, like they all can just sit and make things all day long. So it's been amazing to see each of them grow and be so different and have these talents and be present in that and encourage that and be a part of that. So that's been the way that mostly I've done design and art, um, as well as supporting Josh and being a part of what he does in an extra set of eyes for quality control and not that he <laughs> needs much help in that area, but I definitely do. Yeah, I've I've been able to speak into just kind of nuances of his work, and that's really fun for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm constantly showing my wife things that you know when you work in isolation and you don't have a lot of people to bounce stuff off of. Sometimes you just miss something, you know, and you'll show it, and it's it's hard because there's an ego thing there from as a designer when you like show it to someone and they don't get it right away, especially a non-designer. But if a non-designer doesn't get it, then you've completely missed the mark, right? Because that's who you're speaking to. That's who we design for. So there's been many times where I'll show something to my wife and she'll go, doesn't that kind of look like uh, something else? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can see that, you know? And, and so it's good because it's like frustrating. She's like, dang it, you know? But yeah, having that, having that someone around to do that with is really valuable. I, I think that was one of the... Uh, great things about growing up in a, a family that uh, that wasn't a full of artists was that I'm always I think in the back of my head I'm always trying to design and do stuff that they think was would be cool and you know it, at the same time like doing stuff that designers think would is cool you know I think there's a, there's part of our egos that always wants to do, you know get approval from our peers but um, I think uh, it's it's been a uh, it was it really helped me as well uh, in terms of talking to clients, you know, and trying to describe art uh, to clients. Cause I, I was always trying to explain what I was doing, <laughs> you know, whether I was sloshing paint around and one of the things my parents, you know, they would always talk about how awful abstract art was. And here I was this kid that ended up in high school, like getting into abstract art and definitely through college, but then having to explain to them, like, here's, here's what I'm doing and why. And, um, and I think that always created in my own work. And, and I think Katie's this way as well, um, have a reason for everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that way, like when you, when you have to explain yourself, whether that's to a client or just doing art in general, um, being able to explain your work and talk about your work, you know, think intentionally about why you're doing what you're doing. Even if it feels good, think about why that, why that feels good or why that choice feels good. And so, um, that's helped, helped me out a lot in terms of trying to get clients on board with what I'm doing. Yeah. So you've after, so did you guys meet in college? No, um, we met, uh, I had, uh, you know, back, back to when I, uh, left the, the first job that I had, I really finally felt like, you know, Hey, I can do this thing on my own. And it was my first time sort of leaving home and getting away from Indiana. And so, so I moved out to Colorado. We, uh, I had just left Dean Johnson design and, and that was my first job, uh, in, here in Indy. And it was an opportunity to get out into uh, the world and, and kind of leave home for the first time and kind of spread my wings a little bit. And I think um, Colorado uh, was on the top of my list just because I loved uh, mountain biking and hiking and being outside. And I wanted to go someplace that was just co- completely different than Indiana and um, went to move to Colorado and lived with some friends and they had a, a young boy and um, it was kind of getting to see sort of the next phase of my life uh, when I when I live with them. But I was sort of their live-in babysitter while I found a place to work. And they um, asked me to go to church with them. And so I went uh, went to church with them. And uh, there was this uh, beautiful girl drawing on stage for this sermon series that uh, that uh, they were doing. And um, you know, this is I don't mean to sound demeaning towards Christians because I'm I am one, but like. Sometime the, the the Christian church that I grew up into, art was not very much appreciated. It was kind of like this, typically very cheesy, and and when I say cheesy, it was very emotional and commercial, and and not very um, thoughtful. And um, you know, being when you recognize someone else who maybe comes from the same background, but is is you know appreciate some of the same things that you do. Um, I, I recognize that right away, just even how she was drawing, just the line, the, the character of the line work. And I could see how she was developing these characters from the Bible as she was drawing them on stage. And, um, I got all the way out to my car. Um, and I thought like, I should have told her that she did a good job. Cause you know, I was thinking about how like that, that it's hard to be an artist in, in, in a, in a church just in general, I think. And, um, so I, I, got out to my car and I was like, no, I need to go in and tell her she did a good job. So I went up and went all the way back inside, walked up to the stage and told her she did a good job. And so that's kind of how we first met with no ulterior motive whatsoever. Well, I'm sure there was some (laughs) ulterior motive, but like, I didn't know anyone. So it was like, I was just happy to meet people, you know, cause I was out there and the only people I knew were the two friends that I was staying with. So it was like, I've got to find, find, find some sort of network or whatever. And here's this other Christian, Christian person in an art, in, you know, in an art capacity that maybe, you know, we could get along, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, um, ready to go on a date right away or anything like that. It was more of just trying to find a network. Hmm. Yeah. I met my wife in church too. Pretty crazy. Yeah. I was doing theater and she was playing in the orchestra. And so that's how I, I met her. She's a cellist. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so you, you started an agency. Yes. Well, I started a a design firm while I was in India. And then when I moved out to Colorado, I worked at a um, kind of an art and advertising agency called Moxie Sozo. And they were at the time uh, really more known for, they did a lot of um, uh, organic food packaging as well as outdoor sports equipment Mm -hmm. and apparel and while I was in India, I had worked on a lot of outdoor sports apparel because Galleons, which was eventually bought out by Dix, was based in India, and I did some stuff for them. And so that was kind of the first, uh, you know, genre of stuff that I worked in when I when I was uh, first starting up. And um, at Moxie Souza, there was just two employees, so it was me and one other guy, and then the owner and his wife. And um, that was the first place that I started. So. Um, I think that was kind of my first foray into packaging and, and that kind of comes up later as, um, something that I found that I just really love to do because the work that you do becomes synonymous with the product. I didn't like doing advertising. There was always something about that that felt, I don't like to sell. 
I'd rather make something that people just think is cool and want to buy it because it's cool, you know? And I think um, that's what I love about good packaging is that you're creating some, you're not, you're not um, creating desire in such a way that, that feels um, like, like you're a snake oil salesman or that you're, it doesn't feel dirty. It feels like you're making this thing that people just want in their life and you're not telling them anything bad about who they are or that they're not a good person if they don't have this or if they're not worthwhile, if they don't have this, you're just creating something that looks cool that, that they want to have because it's an extension of who they see themselves Mm -hmm. as being, as opposed to, you know, you're not a real man if you don't drink this beer or whatever. So, Mm. um, I think that was my first exposure to that. So you're, you're out in Colorado you've obviously found your way back to Indiana. Um, what, what were the turn of events that led you to, you know, obviously leave, leave that situation and, and eventually, you know, make, make the decision to go out on your own. Talk a little bit about that process. Yeah. So it was, it's, it's a little bit longer process, but, um, I had always wanted to own my design firm, own, own design firm someday. I've seen, I saw, uh, several, you know, places that I'd worked that I thought were really cool. And, you know, I'd love to have something like that someday. And I also, the places that I had worked, they seemed to be making a good living for their, for their family. And it wasn't like an exorbitant living, but like as a, as a graphic designer in those days, you know, you either had to, you had to move up, you know, to art director or creative director, start your own firm in order to, um, you know, support a family in, in my view. And so, um, I, I kind of bounced around. I, I ended up leaving Moxie Sozo and went to work as an art director for a publishing company. Um, was there for about a year and a half. And uh, that was the longest I had stayed anywhere at that point because in order to move up in those times, it, you tended to have to leave the company you were at to take the next job. And I, um, I've always been a very goal-oriented person and I've always been looking towards what's my next step? What's the next thing I've got to do? Where do I need to do? What skills do I need to get 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 where I want to go? And um, while I was at this uh, publishing firm, it was really cool because I learned about how to do illustrator contracts. So I was working with a lot of illustrators. So I learned the business side of illustration mm. from the other side, yeah. from, from the art director side. And then um, I also presented a lot to the owners, the key stakeholders in the company and found out that I was really good at that. And I didn't feel uncomfortable just presenting stuff all the time and, and kind of getting, getting the ideas that I really had to work and, and get them to buy in. And then eventually seeing that stuff all come to fruition and work really well. So that was a real confidence booster that I could go off and do that. And, um, I met my business partner, uh, uh, my future business partner there. And we ended up leaving the company and starting a company called tenfold. And that was sort of like the next step that I could take of where I wanted to be. And I'd always wanted to own a design firm. And I remember how exhilarating it was leaving, uh, you know, my former job and and driving to work for the first day at my own gig, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, um, it was just the two of us and he had owned a a design firm before, but had gotten burned out and really, you know, thought that my net, his next step was finding a good business partner and not go be going alone. So I lucked into this guy that had like all these other things already figured out, like how to, archive stuff. Cause back then you didn't have the cloud, you had to archive things and just all these little mundane things that you had to figure out when you started to own your own business. He sure. had already done taxes and, and already, you know, created an LLC and all these other things. So I got to learn all those things from him. Um, and he ended up already doing, knowing how to do all the billing and, and accounting stuff. So it was like, I lucked in, I brought some clients, he brought some clients and, um, it was, it was super exciting. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of started at a time that uh, was kind of dangerous to start a firm. It was before the recession, um, the Great Recession. We started in 2006 is when we formed the company and we're actually working full time only two months later um, after leaving the, the our, our former place of business. And um, we uh, we started in January of, of 2007 and. Uh, things were going good and we were getting more work as we went along just organically. We'd barely got a site up and, um, but we really didn't know what we wanted to be. We had no vision for what type of firm we wanted to be. So a lot of the work that we did 
was kind of local and what we could find. And then a lot of it came from the former publishing company that sort of that, uh, not, not that company, but that industry that we were in, we did a lot of children's publishing stuff, did a lot of book covers and educational materials. And, um, that kind of bankrolled us for the first couple of years, but we started growing and, you know, I think we started hiring and, and that brought on its own new challenges of things you learn. And I was only, 26, 27 at the time. So pretty, pretty young to, to have employees and that kind of thing. And, um, we, we ended up with six people on staff and, um, the recession hit and it just seemed like it wasn't like we were losing clients. It's just, they didn't have the budgets that we wanted to charge. And so we were trying to fit a whole lot. We ended up trying to fit a whole lot of work in to make things, make ends meet. So we got really good at working quickly. Um, and it was real high pressure, high volume, um, kind of work. And we just, we were trying so hard not to let anyone go. And, um, at the time, you know, I, I was trying to move on to the next project, move on to the next project. Meanwhile, uh, we already had a daughter, Katie and I already had a daughter. And when my business partner and I first started up, we, I, um, we found out that Katie was pregnant uh, with our second. And I told Katie when we got married, I didn't want to have any kids by the time I was 30, which didn't really work out at all for us. How many did you have before you were 30? Uh, I had three with one on the way. And so that, that plan went out the window. So um, I was learning to be a dad. I was learning to run a business. I was learning to run, you know, work with employees. And, and then at the same time, kind of be sort of the, the figurehead spokesman of the company. And, um, you know, I think there was times too, where we probably cut corners. We shouldn't have learned and, you know, shouldn't have done. And I learned from, from those mistakes. But, um, one of the, the things that kind of crept up was, um, we ended up in uh, a lot of debt as a company. We had a, um, a, a, a business development person that we'd brought on that, um, and, and the problem was, was we didn't know really who we wanted to be as a company. So she didn't really know how to create a good uh, plan for getting those. And that was the first employee that I had to let go. And it felt awful. And um, it, I'm sure it felt awful for her. We had pe different people giving us advice. And, you know, you learn once you try to implement that yourself, um, you learn from those mistakes in terms of, you know, uh, there's people that tell you um, to be very cold and, you know, you've got, you can't, you can't open yourself up to liability. So it has to be this very cold transaction, but this was a friend that we'd been working with. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we followed that advice and it just felt awful to, to do that, to be like, sorry, you, you know, we, you got to clean out your desk. We need your computer, you know, thank you. I'm sorry. This is, but it like, you, you felt like you had to be cold in that moment. And I hated that. Um, so it's probably led to me not wanting to ever have employees ever again. Like, um, I just hated that feeling of ever having to let someone go. And I learned a lot about myself that I'm really not a person that, you know, likes having people mad at them like that, you know, or being disappointed in them. And I hate disappointing people. And so it's led to a little bit of a fear of that, but I was always, um, I was so concentrated on holding things together, not only for our family, but for tenfold, um, I wanted to do right by my business partner who also was having kids at the same time. And, um, he was a few years older than me. Um, but I, you know, I was concerned about him and his family. And so I felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I just didn't want to let anyone, um, let anyone down. So Katie can probably tell you her side of the story too, from, from her perspective, because, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was gone all the time. I was, I was working late. I would, I would leave early in the morning and I wouldn't come home until it was really dark, even in the summertime. So it was, uh, it was probably the, the lowest point in my career. Yeah. One of, I mean, during all of that, he feels like he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. I had no idea what was going on. Like you said, he would leave early and he would come home late and I was home, you know, with, I think we had three kids at the time and I felt like I was doing everything by myself. I felt like a single parent. And um, we only had one vehicle. So you get used to that. But I was home all day long unless we could walk somewhere. And he would get home and I'd be ready mm -hmm. to talk to an adult, you know, because I had been with little kids. Mm -hmm. And he was just tapped out. He didn't have anything left to give. 
And you run like that for months, you end up creating a distance and a quiet, and you just do your thing the best you can, and they do their thing the best they can, and you forget how to communicate. And so I think we got to a place where we just weren't. We weren't communicating, and I didn't know how to effectively communicate to him. And I don't think he knew how to communicate to me and felt like he couldn't really at the time. Like he just didn't have the emotional strength left to be in that um, at the time. So it was a rough time where we just, there was a lot of distance and you, you know, resentment starts to build in a little bit. And um, we definitely kind of came to a head where we both kind of said, something's got to change because this isn't healthy for me or you or our family. Mm. We need to figure out what we need to do to get back to where we're actually present with each other and in a relationship. Yeah. So, so what changed? What had to change? Um, well, I, I think at the t- at, when you're going through it, your head is so full, you don't really know like yeah. what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I didn't realize something had to change. I was frustrated because when I would come home, I had all this stuff on my plate. I would just expect things to be done the way that I wanted them to be done. Like, can't you just do this? Like, uh, you know, um, just little things in our house. Like, why can't this be done so I don't have to worry about or, hey, could you take care of this because I've got too much on my plate? And, you know, I wanted it the way that I would do it. And, you know, that created a lot of resentment. And, you know, I think um, I just walked around really angry all the time. You know, like, why why am I having to carry all, <laughs> carry all this weight and um you know, at the, it was interesting too, at the same time of doing a, a business, we also were a part of a church plant and, um, the, the pastor of that church left and it was me and a, a few guys that were trying to, uh, keep that thing afloat. And, you know, we were putting in all these long hours and it wasn't growing. And so like, um, from a spiritual perspective, that was kind of dead too. Like we were just, uh, worn out and tired. And I think you just reached a point. I think there's always a point where, um, you make choices and you have things that you do until it becomes so painful that you can't do it anymore. And I think, I don't think anything changed as much as it got so painful. I couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, it was interesting because tenfold finally had made it out of like the hole that we were in, but then we had to pay a lot of taxes. So that's why we were a one vehicle family. We had to sell one vehicle to pay our taxes one year because we were paying off, off debt. And uh, that the business that had accrued to kind of keep everyone on, on staff. And then when we finally made it out of that, I think everyone was just so burnt out. Um, all my favorite, you know, I had, we had these two really great employees that were still left and, um, one by one, they kind of left. And, um, you know, that I think there was one person in particular that was sort of my right hand. And when she left, I, I, I just couldn't I didn't want to try to find someone again to do that. And I looked at the amount of work that I was actually doing and just saw that, Hey, what if I simplified down to me just taking these clients and focusing on this one thing, which ended up being craft brewing for a while. And what if I, um, you know, Katie's been saying how much she doesn't know what's going on. And I kind of see our kids getting older and we're finally out of this baby phase. Um, what if I partnered with her Cause I'd rather be working from home. And even if I'm working long hours, I'd rather be, um, you know, being able to take a 15 minute break and, and, and talking to my kids or talking to Katie than to some coworkers, you know? And, um, so I, I finally approached my business partner and I, I could see like, it was interesting cause I was worried about it. You know, I didn't want to let him down, but it was almost like he knew that I was shouldering a lot and had a lot on my mind and it it was a great meeting and we're still friends to this day. We still meet, um, uh, one Friday per month and talk. And, and once you've done battle with someone like that, I mean, it's like you've made a brother. I mean, it's almost kind of, it's nothing like going through war, but in a way it kind of is, you know, um, when you've gone through battle with someone, he'll be one of my best friends for life. Um, so we, we, we maintain that relationship, but, the actual hardest part of that was actually 
readjusting once we decided to start Emmerich Office together. You know, I was used to giving things to an employee and then just doing it the way that I said to do it. <laughs> and and that was a hard thing for Katie and for me because I had that to learn that, so well. you know, anytime you're working, there's just no way that you can say this is a business problem and not a family problem when you're working with family. It's both. You have to treat it as both and you have to just come to that realization of, of that's what it was. And I think probably the hardest part in our marriage was actually me coming home because I had lost this identity of a, being a business owner and having a firm and this is what I wanted to do. And I get there and I realize this is not what I want to do. You know, this is what I've been working for and leading all these steps. And meanwhile, I've been missing out on my kids growing up and everything, all our memories from that time. Um, there's a few things that I remember about my daughter because she existed you know, she was born before we started the the business, but I don't, re I didn't remember, I don't remember hardly anything about that period. Like I have to have Katie remind me of what like we were doing and, or her showing me pictures on Facebook and reminding me that's what we were doing. Cause I just don't remember any of that. Cause I was so focused on, on the business. So the hardest part came, um, I think there was just a period where I had to let go of that anger and frustration and I took it out on Katie and, um, you know, had to learn how to work together um, and and kind of adjust to uh, the, the new reality as Emmerich office and not having not feeling like I had anyone to talk to about it. Um, so I think um, like all things, time helps a little bit. But we had decided as a family to go on this. Um, we had never been able to afford a family vacation. And when I left Tenfold, we had a little bit of money in the bank. We had all these great new projects as Emmerich Office that were opening up because I decided to focus just on craft beer. And um, we ended up going on this month-long, month-and-a-half-long road trip. Um, went in our one car. <laughs> and uh, we went to visit family. And, you know, we just took our time. And I could work because I didn't have employees or anything. We could just work from the road. And it all of a sudden, it was just like that... Um, that anger and pain had been uh, released and Katie and I were walking on the beach together and she said, um, you know, what's changed? You were completely different. And I said, I don't know, maybe you said a prayer or something and it, it just took all that away because I was not reaching out to God or anyone else. <laughs> it was, it was just something that all of a sudden I woke up one morning and, and felt completely different. Like all that had had passed. And so I think that was the, really the first new day of, of us finding our joy of, of finding our joy, working together and being together was, um, and I think through that trip of, of working while I'm on the road, my kids got to see what I did for the first time in their lives and kind of see me sketching or working with clients. And it was kind of a fun thing. And as, as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, Katie being sort of the designer of our children and getting to use those skills we saw this great opportunity to integrate our family life into our work life. And that seems like something that people always want to keep separate. But we saw this thing of, man, like all this stuff, I never got to witness anyone going through the crap that I went through. And it would have been really helpful to be able to witness that, to know how to deal with it, you know? And so what if our kids have this opportunity to, see me dealing with the struggles that I have at work or all the work that takes for me to do the things that I do. And sometimes I'm, that's sacrificing time with them, but they get to appreciate and seeing like the, the, our good days, our triumphs, and we get to all share those together. And so that really became part of our, our I don't know if you want to call it a mission statement, but it's on our website where we really talk about like the work that we do is the work that we do on behalf of not only our clients, but our family and community that it's really all one big thing to us. I grew up with a son of a basketball coach. And so I, I was homeschooled for a little while growing up or, you know, whatever. And I remember I would spend my half my life in a gym. I'm a horrible basketball player, <laughs> but I was around high school basketball players, college basketball players as an elementary school. I knew how to tape an ankle and how to fold towels, you know, before I was 10. And, uh, and that was, that was my life. But one of the things I really value about growing up was I got to see my dad in his best situations and in his worst situations, you know, in the locker room at halftime when they're just kicking butt in the first half. And when the team just 
horrible first half and watching him have to stand in front of and motivate, you know, a bunch of high schoolers or college kids to, to perform at their best and, you know, being there for winning seasons and losing seasons and just, you know, having the opportunity to see him work, you know, even though it's not something I do, but to be able to see that tension, you know, be able to see him have to work with kids that are difficult to work with and walk, walk through that with them. I think that, you know, those things, although, you know, I'm completely not in that world. It's taught, it taught me a lot growing up how to deal with people, interpersonal, you know, relationships and stuff. So, you know, now I do the same thing. My studio's in my house. My kids are super involved. My kids go on photo shoots with me and, um, you know, my son and daughter are both into illustration and, you know, hope to be, you know, maybe graphic designers or, or go into that world. And, it's just been a real gift for me to be able to share that with them. So they can actually like see, it's like your, your kids are growing up in a design firm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, that, um, something that we've been learning as we started out, like, I, I think a lot of designers really, there's these companies out there that you think like, Oh, it'd be amazing to work for target or Nike or, um, to work on this big, uh, for this big brewery or this big distillery or, or whatever, these big products, these dream projects where, um, but one of the things that I found was that it's totally not conducive to a family, um, Mm -hmm. lifestyle because one, they don't pay on time. So they don't really, they don't really see that side of your life that you are a person and with a family and you've got needs and you're trying to follow through on that kind of stuff. Um, but what I've, what I love about craft beer and has sort of started to extend to other industries was they really appreciate that part of our story. They really appreciate uh, because they're family businesses themselves in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. whether even if they're just a bunch of friends, you know, someday their kids are going to be running around that brewery and, and a few of them already are. And, um, you know, they really get that side of it. And I've, I've sort of found this calling, I feel like of working with, with small businesses. And I don't feel like I have to make excuses for not, you know, having these big clients. And I've worked with big companies and I've just found it to be a, a soul swallowing process because um, they're so risk adverse and there's so many people that have to sign off on it. And you're so far removed from any of the decision makers that actually get to speak into it, that there's not that relationship. And I really thrive off of that relationship. Um, I, my favorite parts of working with my clients are when we're on the phone, geeking about different inspiration and talking about movies and how that marinates and um, that they have an active role in the process. And I love when they want to get dirty into the design details. Like to me, that shows that they care, that they're engaged. They're not just, they're trying to decide, they're looking at my work, trying as opposed to looking at it and just having a personal preference and saying, Oh, I don't like that. They're so engaged that they're like trying to figure out what I'm thinking before I even have to tell them, you know, before I even have to ask the question. They're, they're like, oh, I love how you did that with that and that. That totally makes sense. And, oh, that's crazy. We just talked about that and you somehow incorporated that. And those are the fun parts. And we just ne- I just never had that experience with, with working with larger companies. And so, you know, as that started to marinate... Um, while we, you know, when we, with this focus on, on family and being part of a larger community, um, it really narrowed down who our audience is and really started, uh, to help us make decisions about who we're going to say no to from now on. Mm. And, um, I, I heard, a. uh, an interesting story about Johnny Ive and, and, and Steve Jobs talking about stuff. And, and um, Steve Jobs said something to the effect of, and this hit me very hard because I'm also a person that likes to be liked. Um, Steve Jobs just tore some designers apart in a meeting. And Johnny Ive came to him and said, why would you do that? Why, why would you be so cruel? And he said, Johnny, you're only concerned with... Um, you know, being liked, you're not really good at, when was the last time you said no to something? And he said, well, I said no to all these things over here, but, um, he said, did you really want to do those? Or were you just saying no to them? Cause you just didn't want to do them when you, when you've reached the ability to say no to the stuff that you really want to do, that shows that you have focus and determination. And so that story kind of, that's not a good excuse to berate your coworkers or people that you're working with. Um, Cause I think you can still be honest and kind at the same time and get the results that you want. Um, but I think there's, there's a point too where you've got to really s- select and say no to the stuff that could be really, really good. 
um, good for you, what you think could be good for your career. Cause you've really, uh, if when you're able to focus like that, one, it makes you as a brand more true and you're more better able to deliver through on your promises. Um, but like you, you, I think that's when you know that you've started to find a calling in a sense of, of what you want to do, where you, where you find the most joy. And I think that came to a point where we really want to work with small family businesses. And the other side of that, you know, looking at um, from a food perspective of the companies that we buy from as, as parents, we started to see this sort of correlation of, um, you know, there's these companies, these huge monolithic companies that control most of what we eat in the grocery store. And it's not good for us. And that was something that, you know, Katie kind of found through a health health journey, you know, with problems that she was having with her own health and things that were in food that was causing her problems. And, um, we really kind of started as a family buying from these family companies that, you know, had these other values that weren't just about, um, profits before people. And, um, and that was represented in the quality of the food that they had. And we were willing to pay more and try to figure out a way to make that work in our budget. And we hope our clients see the same in us. Like they're willing to pay more because we're going to be there to care. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that kind of became a, a, a central point of, of us um, as Emmerich office, where we, where we saw ourselves engaging with people and the best people that would most not just benefit from our skills and, but really just appreciate them and then we could really appreciate their company and all the companies that I work with, their companies at this point now that I really feel good about wanting to support, you know, yeah. you had mentioned that you wanted to be a stay at home mom. Yes. And now you have four kids in school mm-hmm. and you're finding yourself more opportunity to get more integrated and, and get back into to design, get back into working. Um, share a little bit about how that's been and, and how that's going for you. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of in a crossroads uh, again. I think I was really young when I had kids, so I was kind of thrown into motherhood and having a family quite young. I had my first child at 21 and had my fourth at 26, so um, my world was being a mom. And your kids grow up, and they're all in school now, but then we moved moved across the country. So the first year that all the kids were in school, we were in the middle of transition big time. Um, And this year, we've been in our house for 10 months now. So I think I'm finally getting to the point where I can see next year while all the kids are in school, I can be organized enough with my time to maybe do something um, beyond just keeping the house maintained and keeping all the kids stuff you know, organized and everybody where they need to be. I do do the books for the business and I do fulfill the orders. It's a very glamorous job. Uh, the books I'm constantly behind on. I don't, maybe there's somebody out there that's like, yeah, I do accounting too. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, I don't find joy in that part of the job. It's just a necessity. It's gotta be done. Josh doesn't have time to do it. Um, I'm a little bit more, organized and analytical, I think, than he is. So, uh, plus he doesn't want to do that (laughs) job at all. So that kind of, uh, fell on me, which is fine. I mean, I've been keeping that side afloat for the last almost five years. Um, but I think I'm coming into this phase where it's time to reevaluate, like what, what am I good at? What do I want to be doing? Um, what is my role beyond, you know, what I've been doing the past five years. The part of my job that I love is being alongside Josh and being that extra set of eyes on his work and being part of kind of the art critique. I actually always liked art critique in school. (laughs) I was that one student that wasn't afraid to speak up and be like, hey, this part of your work is really great and this is what's working, but maybe you could try this and that might she's make really great stronger. at it too because i have such a fragile ego she knows how to <laughs> <laughs> she knows how to uh tell me what's wrong and usually i'll argue with her about it at first and then you sit there and you think about it for a little bit i think you always have to go through that process of 
you're trying to be protective of what's working at the same time being open. And that's always a hard balance to do, but she does it so well. And I think that's one of the greatest benefits of having her um, working with, with me and what she's brought to, to Emmerich office was just being able one, I super trust her taste and expertise in terms of like, if I'm illustrating a, f- a figure, she knows the figure, like she was mentioning earlier, she loved figure drawing she knows the figure so well, she can tell me what's off. And there's not a lot of designers or illustrators that sometimes even know the you know figure that well. So that's been super helpful. Um, but she also has, you know, I think the, the brewing world has a little bit of a male gaze at times, and it's really been helpful to have, um, you know, a feminine perspective. And I think, you know, the, the brewing world needs a lot more of a feminine perspective. It needs a lot more, um, women in brewing and it's definitely become, it's been a male dominated culture for so long. Um, but I see a lot of breweries that are really trying to change that. And, um, I want to change that as well. And in terms of design and I'm hope I, you know, I, I have more brewing clients than I can ever handle. So, um, are people that are approaching. So I, I'm always trying to encourage design, you know, um, breweries to work with, um, female designers. But I think the thing that Katie's really brought to Emmerich office is making sure that it's not just one perspective because it can have a little bit of a bro culture at times. And mm-hmm. she kind of tells me, you know, yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, that's appropriate or no, that's not appropriate. Or that feels like it's too, you know, um, too much from the male gaze or, you know, that feels more empowering than, than sexualized or whatever. So, um, that perspective has been super helpful too. But I think the main thing in terms of we're trying to, we're both sort of struggling through right now is, um, at some point, you know, like a lot of designers, um, and this is a little bit of looking ahead is, is, um, you always kind of wonder what's my shelf life in this industry. And I always want to keep learning. We always want to keep learning, but um, this is a really fast paced industry and, and tastes and, and what's in changes. And, and even though the technology changes really fast. And so um, I think there's going to be some day where it's not necessarily that I've got tired of, of doing what I'm doing, and I hope I'm not scaring my clients if they're listening in right now. But I think it's it's more from the perspective of I like the things that I'm doing now, and I and I love evolving those things. Um, but they'll they'll come a time where there's these are the typefaces that I really like that I've worked with that are good. These are the illustration styles that I've worked with that I really love doing, and I just don't really want to do it. I just I could be happy just doing these things, and at some point. Um, you know, as a, as a creative business, we're creating intellectual property for people all the time. And there's a part of me and, and Katie too, that we're like, well, what's our thing? You know, what, what, what could we create that's just for us that other people might appreciate? And we've kind of gotten a taste from that, from some projects that we've done for clients. And so I think the main thing that we've been kind of thinking about and talking about is there's some, there's a certain point where I would love to be, um, her cheerleader (laughs) and her supporter. Cause she, there's a lot of things that she's really good at. Um, but I've had the experience of, of creating a brand around that. And, and at some point we would love to create our own intellectual property at some point that sort of encapsulate encapsulates a lot of the values that we've talked about of how we've gotten here and, and what we want to do. And I think some of the best brands, like, uh, for example, um, uh, fixer upper, <laughs> like so many, like that's such a huge brand right now. And, Um, I think they embody that idea of family interconnecting with work. And I don't know what it's really like there or what it's really like to work with them or anything like that, but that's, that's part of their brand. And, um, I think there's a a little, they bring their children into some of the things that they do at times and they get to witness, you know, how their parents work, how their parents deal with adverse adversity and like, how could we turn that into a brand of our own besides Emmerich office? What Mm -hmm. would that be? And Katie's really good at, at sewing and um, home decor and that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's where that would go, but um, I think it would be fun to, to venture off in that world too. Our thanks to Katie and Josh for opening up their home studio and allowing us to see and hear firsthand how the well-designed life can actually play out. To see some of Josh's incredible design and illustration work, head over to the Emmerich office website at Emmerich. .co. That's E-M-R-I-C-H dot C-O. 
You can also check out photos from our visit to the studio on our website. If you like what you're hearing on the Joy Venture Podcast, we'd love to know about it. Head on over to iTunes and SoundCloud to like and follow us. And we'd love it if you'd write a review so others who are looking to discover their joy can discover this podcast. To hear more podcasts or read the posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. If you're discovering or developing your joy and need some help creating your brand through design and story, we'd love to partner with you. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.